Hey guys, what's up? This is Zach Herger, Idea Addict. Hey, I just want to talk to you guys a little bit today about um, picking a niche or niche, however you want to say it, um, that you can focus on or your business can focus on. And um, the way I found my niche for my first business that was uh, a success was uh, I was working for this insurance company and then I worked, I had an office job kind of in the insurance field and got really burned out. And I was like, hey, I'll start a cleaning business because like everybody needs like either a house cleaner or an office cleaner or something like that. So I, I thought, you know, one thing I really hate about having a regular job is every day I have to commute to work. I'm dealing with traffic. You know, I'm a slave to the traffic. I hate it. So wouldn't it be cool if I could have a job that's either like late or early morning, like off hours of everyone else, maybe even like overnight. That would be perfect for me, you know, kind of a night owl. So I started pursuing that and I got a couple of accounts at night, but you know, I wasn't making like a ton of money doing that and not enough that I could quit my like primary job, which I hated. But my plan was if I could get like every night filled up cleaning, making enough money and my goal is to make 30 bucks an hour at the time. If I could make 30 bucks an hour, I could quit my other job and I would be like totally like cruising, like 30 bucks an hour would cover all my expenses. I could move out of my parents' basement. I could get a new truck because I was driving a car that I hated. Uh, so I kind of started doing that, but I really wasn't making um, very much money. It was hard to compete, you know, just like in, in insurance, I was kind of like in a, in a commodity game, you know, cleaning office buildings, cleaning, you know, restaurants and gyms at night, stuff like that. It, it really wasn't great, but from there, I kind of, I stumbled on at the time, there was a lot of like foreclosures. And um, one thing you could do that I'd heard about kind of, I don't know where I, I think I read it online or something when I was at work, pretending to work. Um, people were like making like thousands of dollars, like cleaning out these foreclosures, like, like doing like a, like they called it a trash out. We, somebody leaves behind a bunch of stuff after they move out, leave town in the middle of the night, leave the house full of garbage you get paid by the bank or a realtor or however it works to go in there and clean it out. So I was like, well, that's like pretty cool. That's like a, that's like a, that's a pretty easy, like straightforward thing. You, you know, you load up the trash, you haul it off. So I kind of started investigating it. And, uh, my mom at the time was a real estate agent and she like knew some other realtors who listed and sold foreclosures. So I contacted them and they're like, Actually, one guy I talked to was like, well, I don't have like anything for you to clean out, but um, I have a house um, on the other side of town and it needs like the roof tarped. And I was like, well, I'm not really like a roofer. I don't really know anything about tarping a roof. Like, what does that entail? And he's like, well, you just go up on the roof with a tarp and you nail the tarp down. And he's like, I can get you 250 bucks if you want to do it. So I was like, sure, you know, 250 bucks. That's like awesome. Uh when you're making 14 bucks an hour, 250 bucks to, for like 15 minutes of work. So I loaded a ladder up in the back of my car, put a tarp up there, nailed it up. And then that kind of like got me going. Cause he, I did it the next day and he was like, wow, that was like, you know, you said you'd do it and you did it and it's not screwed up and you got everything right. Well, which is better than most people can do. So I ended up doing that. And then he had a, he did that same guy did eventually have a house that needed to be cleaned out. I didn't really know what I was doing, but he was like, well, just like have a dumpster company, drop a dumpster there, fill the dumpster up. 
so I did that, filled the dumpster up, and I think I made like the whole job. I think was like six hundred bucks. I made like three hundred dollars. So I was like, oh, this is like pretty cool. And I was like, well, I wonder like what, where else, who else like I can like work for to do this. So eventually, um, eventually I found more people that, um, sold foreclosures. I talked to like individual banks, individual uh, property management companies that, um, handled foreclosures. And I was actually able to, um, start like a pretty, a pretty sweet little business doing that. Um, and I was just kind of like doing it moonlight at the time while I was working my full-time job. And, uh, Eventually, like I had so many that I just, I went into work and, and I just like put my two weeks in because I was already like super burned out there. And like I said, I was at the second company doing kind of the same thing. And the first company that I worked for was actually suing me for breach of contract and a whole bunch of stuff. They wanted like $250,000, which was laughable because they were paying me 12 bucks an hour. So, um, they had sent like a cease and assist and all that. So that was like kind of a good way for me to like leave that job without being like, you know, peace out, see ya, you know, fuck you. So I ended up leaving that job. And um, I can remember at that job, this one guy that I worked with was a real pompous ass. He thought he was like a real like big shot. And kind of the thing was basically we were like telemarketers. We would call call insurance uh independent insurance agents and try to sell them on selling our product. And then if they did sell it, we got a cut. And this guy that I worked with, uh, Chris, um, actually, what was his name? I don't remember his name, Chris or Kevin or something. He was a real like jackass. And he always would like try to coach me and tell me I was do saying the wrong things or doing the wrong things. And like one day he was like, this is how much I make a month. And it was like $13,000. And at the time I was like, fairly impressed. You know, I was like, well, I, you know, I was 24 or whatever. So I was like, Oh my God, that's like a ton of money. Well, my first month full-time picking up trash, I made $10,000 and I was 24 and this jackass that was showing me how much he was making a month was like 55. So already off the bat, I was like feeling pretty good about it. And the more I did of that, the more I saw like other opportunities where I could you know, um, do these clean outs. I wasn't cleaning out. Um, I wasn't doing any of the commercial cleaning anymore. I found out that that was a waste of time really quickly because you couldn't make any money because if you were willing to do a, bring your crew in there and pay everybody on your crew, you know, 12 bucks an hour, somebody else would do it for nine. Somebody else would do it for seven. So you had no leverage there. You had nothing you could really sell, but with the, the cleaning out the houses, no one was really doing that because not a lot of people knew about it, number one. And number two, like, um, people didn't want to do it because, um, they had read all these horror stories online of like meth houses where things explode or people leave the gas on when they leave the house or like hypodermic needles, like a bunch of bullshit that I never ran into. I did run into needles one time because the guy was a diabetic, but you know, you just wear, shoes that have metal bottoms and then like gloves that you can't penetrate. It really wasn't a big deal. It was a one-time thing. So like a lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with it, <clears throat> but outside of just cleaning them out, um, we kind of got into like cleaning up if it, like the houses were full of mold, if the houses, you know, uh, had like lead paint or things like that. So like even 
farther down a niche that was even farther down from just cleaning out foreclosures um, for banks and uh, property management companies. Um, we could go in, guys on my crew could go in, they could clean, tear out everything that was moldy or like damaged by flood or um, things like that. And then we had the ability to like put the drywall back up and like mud and tape and drywall and paint the houses. So we kind of became like our niche was kind of like a, a one-stop shop for these companies. So they could just come directly like to me and have everything solved that they needed. And there was a, co a couple companies where I was literally like their only provider in the area because unlike back in like 2008, 2009, like if you did this in Florida, there were so many people doing it that people – People built like multi-million dollar companies out of – it's called property preservation out of like servicing these foreclosures. Well, in Nebraska, we really didn't have any. I, well, we had them, but they weren't – there wasn't tons of them, not enough that would attract tons of people to get into it. So it was literally like there was a, probably five people in the whole city that did it, actually the whole state. Um, so a lot of times I was able to like name my own price, especially if there was a house like – Nebraska, I don't, you're probably not familiar with Nebraska, uh, which I don't blame you. Um, but Nebraska, basically, there's about 2 million people in Nebraska. And about 90% of those 2 million people live uh, within 50 miles of Omaha, which is on the way eastern side. So if one of these companies had, like, let's say, a foreclosure in the middle of Nebraska by, like, Kearney or Grand Island or something like that, like that, and I was the only person that they had in the state to do it, I could basically name my own price because no one else was really willing to go out there, um, which was great because, you know, I would charge them, like, mileage. I would charge them, like, fees to, like, stay overnight, and I would just, like, sub it out to somebody else. So I kind of, I guess – the niche was instead of just cleaning, it was like removing trash and re removing trash for a specific set of like people, um, a specific set of like other business clients that I could get with. <clears throat> so that was really like the way I found into that niche. And then at the same time, a lot of those companies needed like a lawn care for all these houses all over town, which there was about 300 houses. So I was like, well, if they need mowing and tr like they needed mowing, they needed like the leaves picked up every fall, pretty much like a full service, like lawn care besides like chemicals. I was like, well, I'll just start a lawn care service because I have a built in niche already. I don't have to go advertise to uh, homeowners. Uh, I don't have to compete with other people on price. I can just bid everything. Um, I can just bid the whole contract at once. And if I get it, I'll just go hire a bunch of people. And that's basically like what happened for me is I was the only person that like raised their hand and said, like, I'll do it and I'll do it for this much and I'll cover everything. So for a while I was mowing um, and maintaining the exterior of like every Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac foreclosure in Nebraska. So just having like a, that little extra like niche, you know, um, of not only – so like cleaning, I guess, was like the main category. And then my subcategory was like solid waste removal. And then my subcategory of my subcategory was solid waste removal for um, banks and uh, mortgage companies. <clears throat> so just those differences, you know, like, I mean, 
that was huge because I didn't have any competition really. So that's what I want you guys to think about if you're going to be starting a business or maybe you have a business that um, is struggling because you're, you have too much competition. You're spending too much on advertising. You need to like take another niche down. So, um, you know, if you only have like, let's say like a thousand customers in your, in your town, um, but you can continuously sell those customers or it's high, high ticket things or something like that. If you just focus on those thousand or small percentage of people and you can get all of their business, it's really worth it. So another example of uh, a niche, like niche marketing or like focusing on a niche to make your business more um, profitable is uh, there's a, this is more of like a real estate story, real estate sales, but one of the most successful realtors, I don't know the guy's name, I guess um, he was in Philadelphia. And and what he did is he sold real estate and his niche was selling condos. And his sub niche was selling condos just in, I guess, like three buildings that were all kind of part of the same like homeowners association or same condo complex. And he he was just basically the realtor for these three buildings. Now these were really large buildings. Each building had a couple hundred um, units in it. And he had got himself to where he lived there. He knew like everybody in the building and he didn't even like put stuff live, like on the multiple listing service or like live on realtor.com or Zillow or anything. If someone wanted to sell their unit, they would just call him up and they would say, Hey Sal, uh, we have a three bedroom unit. Here's a unit number, blah, blah, blah. And they would say, do you have a buyer? And he would say, well, hold on. Let me like call, let me put some feelers out, call the people I have that are on my waiting list. So he would do that. And that's how I would put, uh, that's how I would put deals together because he w- he didn't have to compete with any other realtors because everybody knew him. He was just the realtor for those buildings. He was the, the intermediary, the gatekeeper for getting, getting a unit in those buildings or to get your built building sold for top dollar. So he really didn't have to do any marketing because he was just the go-to person there. So I just, those are just some, I guess, like some stories that I want to relay to you guys about picking a a niche, going after your niche, because it's so important right now. So many people, uh, in the marketplace, um, in pretty much every industry, you really just have to specialize. Um, and, and the more you can get your niche deep, I guess, the, the better, the better off you're going to be. And you might have to try a couple different ones. You know, I tried a couple different things with my cleaning business before I found, um, you know, trashing out foreclosures. So you might have to play around with it, but once you get into the right niche, it's not going to take long for you to know that that's the right place you're going to be. So, you know, if you're getting traction right away and you're getting customers signed up right away and you're making sales right away, let that be your guide. Um, or if you're looking to start a business, take those things into account. You know, is there a million people doing this or is all the profitability stripped out of it because there's so many people doing it? Um, you know, where's a profitable niche? Who are, who would my competitors be? What are they doing special? Or maybe instead of looking at your immediate competitors, if you're doing something locally, look in other markets and try to figure some things out. So 
those are some things that I would say uh, to definitely look at. But going along with the niche thing, and this is something I looked into, but I never did. I always thought it was a really, really good business idea. <clears throat> so I'll, I guess I'll just make it the idea of the week um, that I have. And, and this is really like a recession-proof, virus-proof, whatever kind of business. Um, and it's a crime scene cleanup business. So I don't know if you've ever seen – I think they made a movie about it in 2009 or 2010. Um, I don't remember the name of it, so I guess I don't know why I brought it up. But uh, it's crime scene cleanup or like biohazard cleanup. So it's a cleaning company. And if there was a crime scene like in your town, you would go like clean up the aftermath. So if the cops got in like a shootout with MS-13 or like some gang, uh, MS-13, please don't find me and hurt me. Uh, if the cops got in a shootout with some gang or like some bank robbers or whatever and the cops shot shot them and there was blood or like body parts or whatever – then after the um, uh, coroner picked up the body parts or whatever, you would just go in and like clean up the blood, uh, clean up the aftermath. Um, but it's not necessarily always like violent crime like that. It could be like the cops like raid um, a place where they were like cooking meth or the cops raid a place where they were um, making crack cocaine or anything like that where there'd be like caustic chemicals. Or it could even be like – you could even do like um, more of like a biohazard spin on it where like you would do the crime scene cleanup, but you would also do like if there was a chemical spill uh, or something like that, you would go in and clean it up. Um, and I think that what's – there's a couple things that make this really good. So I've always been a firm believer that people will pay top dollar for things that they don't know how to do. And they'll also pay top dollar for things that they don't want to do. So if somebody – if somebody, if you have a rental, let's say a rental house, and somebody that you're renting to like bars themselves in their rental house and has a shootout with the police, and the police shoot and kill this person in your rental house, you're probably not going to want to go in there and clean up the aftermath, right? You're going to want to hire a professional and make and just say, hey, like clean this up and I don't even want to like know that it happened here. Well, so this is definitely something that – this is definitely a, a business where like people could do that, but they don't want to do it. And they're going to pay top dollar for somebody else to do it. <clears throat> and I think that there's um, even like if there was a crime on your property, I think that there is actually a victim's fund that you could dip into to pay for some of this possibly. I think you could also pay like your homeowners or like insurance that you have on your business or rentals would pay uh, a crime scene cleanup company. So um, not a lot of people want to do this, obviously. So that's kind of a barrier to entry. The other thing is you do have to have specific OSHA um, licenses and uh, OSHA licenses and some different probably like contracting licenses and um, hazmat licenses. And then you have to find a place to bring any medical waste. So there is definitely barriers to, to entry um, as far as from a credential standpoint, which is also a positive. And then um, the other thing is it's obviously high margin because you're dealing with so many like issues. Um, you're dealing with a, ha you know, it's hazardous waste. Um, so you're charging for that, but you're not going to be competing with, you know, the service pros of the world or the, 
ABC like janitorial service of the world because they don't want to get involved in that. Um, so I think it is a, a very interesting business and you don't see a lot of them. And I think a lot of these companies actually serve multiple states. So I think that there is room for somebody who would want to do it. And the other good thing is even though you need these licenses, you don't probably need like a lot of um, experience in like cleaning. I mean, I'm pretty sure you just remove every, anything that has any contamination. So if someone were to get shot or like pass away in like, let's say, uh, um, on the floor of like a house or whatever, I'm pretty sure what they do is they cut out the plywood and haul the plywood off um, to be destructed as medical waste and then like patch the floor up. So I don't think you're like on your hands and knees like scrubbing blood out of dry uh, plywood or anything like that. <clears throat> so... It's cleaning, but it's also kind of like demolition and deconstruction. And then I guess like another thing that you can look at with this as far as um, kind of thinking, I always like to take into consideration um, current events. And obviously the coronavirus is a large current event. And this is something that I kind of looked at doing, um, but I, I just never like pursued. I just didn't have time to do it. But you can get these like uh, fogging machines that will – they'll put like a fog in the air of like clean, like cleaner, a disinfectant fog that will fog an entire house. Um, and they disinfect, you know, so like if somebody like passed away in a house or like an animal passed away, like a dog passed away or, or, or when I was doing the foreclosures, actually what would happen is a wind, somebody would like break into the house, like bust a window out, come inside, like steal like the copper wiring and copper pipes. And like sometimes they'd steal the furnace, but then that window would never get patched up. So what happens is raccoons would come inside and they would die. And, um, they were easy to dispose of, obviously, but the thing is, like, the smell would smell the whole house up for months and months. So these fogging machines, you can put them in houses, <clears throat> and they'll fog the air with uh, with this chemical that uh, disinfects everything, but also um, eliminates odors. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can look at um, with uh, – a crime scene or biohazard cleanup company that, that I think are really interesting. And sometimes too, just like if somebody like, let's say is selling a house and someone had like smoked in it a long time, you know, you could use those like foggy machines to get smoke out. So there's a lot of different avenues you could go down with, go through with that. Um, especially if you live in like an area where there like, it wasn't a huge metropolitan area where there was like tons of crime. Um, I think here in Omaha we have about, well, I don't know the stats, but there's not a ton of crime here, so I don't know how busy you would be actually cleaning up crime scenes. But um, another thing to look at with that is like cleaning up like meth houses. I know that in some states like that's like a huge ordeal. I know that in some states you have to have like a like a, kind of like a home inspection, but like to check if meth was ever made in the house, which is like kind of blows my mind. So that's something you can get involved in with that. So I do think that that's multifaceted. You're not going to really have it in competition. And then the other thing is if you could get in with like, and I know this sounds like a little morbid, but if you could get in with like the coroner's office or like the police or like fire department or paramedics in your town, um, you would kind of have like an inside track. And 
obviously I know this business isn't for everyone, but if you'd be open to that, um, you know, I think that, I think that someone can do really well doing that. I looked at it. I never really got into it because I was so busy, um, cleaning these houses out. So that's something to definitely look at. Um, <clears throat> if that kind of thing interests you at all. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, every episode, I like to pick out a business for sale to kind of highlight and talk about with you guys. Um, like I said, on the other episode, I'm totally obsessed at looking for businesses for sale because I mean, it's really, if you find the right business, they're really like turnkey. I mean, turnkey money in your pocket from day one, you're basically buying your way into being a CEO. And I know a lot of times when people think about businesses for sale, they think of like, you know, gyms, um, Jim's uh, like lawn care and he's like cutting 30 lawns and he like twisted his ankle and he wants to get rid of it and no one's paying him, blah, blah, it's a nightmare or um, a local restaurant or something like that or like a local bar. But, you know, there's kind of a sweet spot of, of businesses for sale that that make between uh, $500,000 a year and like a million dollars a year that a lot of people don't think that they can afford um, or maybe in some cases can't afford or, or incompetent to run. Um, but they're not expensive enough for like a venture capitalists to like buy and put in their portfolio. So there is kind of like a sweet spot where if you could raise the funds for it, you'd be making money day one. And in some cases you'd be making a lot of money day one, uh, like two hundred and fifty or $300,000 from day one. And if you could just – I always tell people, cause I, I like to preach this a lot about like, just don't, there's kind of two people, kinds of people in the world. There's people like me where like, I have a burning desire. If I like have a, a an idea that I have to pursue <clears throat> and I, and I just have to do it. There's just something inside me that I have to do it. So there's people like me that have to start their own thing and have to do their own thing, which is stupid. I wish I wasn't like that. Um, but then there's people that like, maybe you have a corporate job, you've had a corporate job for 20 years, you know how to manage, um, you know how to manage people, you know how to manage payroll, you know how to do this, you know how to do that. You've been basically trained by the corporation you work for, but you're just, you're just fed up with it. Um, so I think that it's a perfect opportunity for somebody like that, or even someone that just got their MBA and has got some education, but, um, doesn't necessarily want to like bootstrap their own thing, um, come up with their own thing from day one. So I think buying a business is just, is, is just a great opportunity. And, um, I think I'm going to make some episodes in the future, kind of breaking down <clears throat> how you would do that. And some case studies about people that have done it. Cause it is a great opportunity. There's lots of baby boomers that are retiring, but there isn't tons of people who want to buy their businesses. So you can get a business that makes a ton of money for not a lot of money. So anyway, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but so anyway, this is a business, it's a truck driving school. So, uh, and it's in Tacoma, Washington. It actually has three locations. I don't think they're all in Tacoma. I think they're all in a couple different areas in Washington, but <clears throat> the driving school, uh, they have 23 trucks and 19 trailers that are included with the business. Um, 
the asking price for this is $2.8 million. It cash flows $876,000 with annual gross revenues of $2.2 million. Uh, It was established in 2017. And what's kind of interesting about this is that the driving school is accredited and approved um, through the VA and the GI Bill, um, which is great. So you have kind of like a feeder system there. The other thing that's really interesting about this business, this driving school, um, is that there's instructors in place that can teach in 12 different languages, including Punjabi, Hindu, Russian, and 10 other languages. Uh, There's already employees in place. They got 22 employees. And uh, like I said, they're in three different locations, which I think this is great because not a lot of people know this, that there's actually like huge um, shortage of like truck drivers um, in the United States right now. And the other thing that a lot of people know is truck driving jobs can actually pay pretty well. I think the average um, over the road truck driver makes about $72,000 a year, which might not sound to a lot, might not sound like a lot to you. But if you take in consideration, I think the average household salary in the United States is like $56,000, um, $72,000 is pretty good. Um, so there is a, there is a big need for truck drivers. And, um, I think with kind of like some of the economic downturn, more people are going to be losing their jobs, looking for other opportunities. So I think this is a great opportunity, uh, for somebody who would want to, uh, own and operate a truck driving school. And I think that like really the sky's the limit. I mean, if you could get more locations, um, if you could get more locations, I think you'd be good. This business is also SBA approved, um, which is a, a benefit. And, uh, I'll just give you the, uh, little bit more information. It's listed by KR business brokers and the listing agent is Randy Edwards. Uh, you can reach her at 206 five, seven, one, 47, 45. Um, if you didn't get that, you can just reach out to me. I'll give her your information, but I thought that was a pretty cool, um, interesting looking business. And, um, the guy who started Warner enterprises, which I don't know if you're like, if he's pretty famous here. Warner is like a pretty big deal. It's one of the biggest trucking companies in the whole world. Uh, and the guy's a multi-billionaire and he started off owning a truck driving school. Um, so anyway, I thought it was good. It's got a good cash flow for the amount of money they're asking. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so that's the business that uh, I found for sale. And like, if you guys want any more information, just feel free to reach out um, to me and I'll give you that. And then the other thing is, um, well, not the other thing, but the other segment I, I want to get into is um, kind of go over some ideas that people have shot to me, um, different things that, that some people I've been chatting with, people online or whatever, kind of shot at me um, as far as things that they might want to get into. And I kind of want to critique them a little bit here. I think some of them are good. Some of them are shit. Uh, The first one is uh, someone was asking me like if they should get into like digital marketing, like start a digital marketing firm. And in a lot of ways, I like like a digital marketing firm. I think that you could – you can make pretty good money doing that. I think you could really get it dialed down to where it was on autopilot and it was uh, delivering what people want. For those of you who don't know, a digital marketing company or a digital marketing firm, I guess they call people call it, is a is a business where, let's say, 
let's say like you have a, a dental office and you want more customers and you're doing like things on the mail, you're talking to people on the street about it, but you really want to like run Facebook ads or run like pay-per-click ads, but you're too busy being a dentist. You don't know how to do any of those things and you don't want to learn and you don't want to deal with it. You don't want to hire somebody full-time. You want to outsource it out to a digital marketing firm and that's what they do. They just, they do online advertising for you. So I think that there's definitely a lot of opportunity in this space. The problem, there's a couple problems that you're going to have to overcome one is digital marketing in a lot of ways and digital marketing firms in a lot of ways uh, feel real scammy. Like if you go online or if you go on Facebook and like just type in digital marketing firms or talk to people who have digital marketing firms, it comes across really pretty scammy. And it's like a lot of kids who like see these videos on Facebook or see these vid- or on YouTube and they think, oh, like I can run Facebook ads for somebody, blah, 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 blah. And I'll just let Facebook like do all the work for me. So I think it does come across spammy. The other thing is you have to like really know what you're doing. Like you're going to have to deliver results for people. You can't just go out and blow their money with no results. Um, and then the other thing is if I was going to start a digital marketing firm, I would just start with like one group of, of clients and get really good at that and try to be the best you can at that. So I saw real estate. Um, in my market, there's about 3,500 realtors. But there's probably like about 2,000 actual realtors who are full-time agents. And I would say maybe, maybe one-tenth of those run good Facebook ads. Um, so I do think that they're there's a lot of space for you to take advantage of that. And what I would do to start out is I would just take 10 clients and say, I'll run your ads for you for free for one month. If I can, at the end of the month, if you're happy, if I can get a testimonial from you and if I can publish the results I got for, uh, for you, like how many leads you got in, how much you were paying per like lead that came in, all of that stuff. Cause you really need to be able to go into someone and say like, if you pay me X amount, here's what I'm going to be able to deliver you. And if you want to pay me double that, I can give you double the results. So that's how I would start off. Um, if I was going to do a digital marketing firm, just start off small and get kind of like a blueprint going and go from there and start with one, at least one class of, uh, of clients. But I think that's good. Uh, just if you're interested in that, just do your research. Um, the other one that's really interesting, and I've actually the next two I've actually thought of getting into, and I don't. Looking at this on the screen, it's like why would I ever think of getting into this? But the next one's dog being a dog walker, starting a dog walking business. So in Omaha, we have a couple condo buildings. We probably have like a dozen condo buildings and not very many of them are very big, but one of them I think has about 650 units, which is like pretty good size. And, um, you can pay the concierge there to walk your dog, but I think it's like 50 bucks. I think they charge some astronomical fee to like walk your dog. And I think they walk your dog. I think it's literally, I think the cap for 50 bucks is like a 10 minute walk or maybe less. I don't know. 
Um, but I, I remember thinking, oh my God, that's like so much. I could go in there and like do it for 20 bucks and make a killing. Um, like, like I said, I have no idea why I was thinking that, but I think this is actually like a pretty good business because even if you were like in more of a suburban area and it was like a neighborhood, um, I think that you could have it to where you're walking. Like, I don't know how many, I've seen like pictures of people online or like, I watched like a thing on 60 minutes about like this lady who like had a firm, like walking dogs in central park and she made a million dollars a year or something ridiculous. And her like dog walkers made like a hundred grand a year, but they were walking like 25 dogs at once. Well, (laughs) if you could walk 25 dogs and you're charging $10 a walk, which seems like even that seems like way too much. Um, that's 250 bucks. I think it'd be more like a, a subscription, like 30 bucks a month to walk your dog every day or something like that. But if you can do that many at one time and you're always like kind of like switching them out as you go and that's part of the walk or whatever. And, and, and you could start off doing it yourself. So maybe you have like 30 clients and then like you bring somebody else in to like do it. Um, I think that you could definitely make money at it. Number one, number two, like the demand is like totally there. People love their animal. Like people love their dogs now. It's so fucking ridiculous. I I read a study that people are willing to spend more money on their dog, their dog, well, on their animals' prescription drugs than they are, and people are more likely to give the prescription drugs as prescribed to their animals. more frequently and more thoroughly than they do themselves. So people are actually willing to take better care of their animals and they're willing to take care of themselves. So that alone should tell you that there's a market there for sure. And the other thing is people want these animals, but they don't want to like go on walks. People like when I'm like out all day, like on a job site or doing a flip or showing houses or whatever, I don't want to come home and walk my damn dog. So, uh, and that's why I bought a dog that doesn't need to be walked every day. Anyway, so people don't want to uh people don't want to do it themselves. They just want like a tired like dog they can play with and cuddle with when they get home. So I definitely think it's there. Um and like I I, th- I think that's a really good one. I really like dog walking. The other thing too is um you could hire like a lot of part-time employees. You could hire a lot of like contract employees, really. And um I know there's like a lot of national like lead companies for this. Like, I don't remember what it's called. Something like, I don't know. Um, what's it called? I don't know. You kind of like go a little idiot, like a little retarded when you're doing podcasts. Can't think. But I think that if you're just local and then you would have a leg up over like national lead places because you'd have like a face attached to what you're doing. And then I would like bundle dog walking with we'll also like deliver your food because we're going to be in your house anyway. So I would make it to where it's like kind of like an irresistible thing that's all like wrapped up into one. So it's like, I, I walk your dog, I bring your dog food, like something else. That way you can differentiate yourself and charge a little bit more. So dog walking. Yes. Love it. Um, the next one, (laughs) this one is something I also thought of too. Um, me and my wife flip houses, and uh, have a remodeling business. So we're like always using these things, but um, construction dumpsters. Um, uh, And the idea that this guy was talking to me about was a 
doing dumpster sub renting. So, and there's a couple like really big businesses that do this, I guess, but I don't, I'm not too sure. Um, so basically how this works is, um, I rent a dumpster out from, um, ABC dumpster for $200. And then I rent it to you for 300 bucks. It's very simple. Um, I, I do like the idea. It sounds really good theoretically. Um, because a lot of times when you call like dumpster companies, you're like talking to somebody who is like, sounds like they're in the mob or at least they're associated with the mob. And a lot of places like you get into construction field, especially like construction waste. You've probably seen the Sopranos. They had a dumpster company. And it's like you're talking to someone who, like, doesn't want to talk to you and they're total pricks and they expect you to know everything. So the customer service is, like, really poor unless you, like, speak their language. Um, so you have to really, like, strike a deal with the actual company renting out the dumpsters to you. And you'd have to let them know, like, what you're doing. And you'd have to get a preferred rate to make any money. The other thing is when somebody contacts you for a dumpster and they want pricing and they want availability, you need to have like a seamless way to find out the avail availability of the, the dumpster company like you're renting out from. So like let's say you're, you're sub-renting out Joe's dumpsters. Well, Joe's dumpsters, they don't have shit online. It's some guy sitting at a phone and – and sometimes he answers the phone and sometimes he doesn't answer the phone. You can leave a message and sometimes he calls you back and sometimes he doesn't. That's just the way that the companies like that work. So you need to f have some way to figure out when they have a dumpster, how much it's actually going to cost. And the other thing is they change their prices all the time because landfills change their prices all the time depending on how much stuff's coming in. You know, the scale rates change at a landfill. That changes the dumpster rates. So you need a seamless way to fulfill your orders. And then the other thing is you have to make sure that the dumpster companies, when they drop the dumpster in someone's driveway, um, aren't like tearing things up. Cause I've had that happen on like construction projects where you'll get a construction dumpster and the guy will like back into someone's yard and like run over their sprinklers. So if you're only making 50 bucks per dumpster, you can't deal with a whole lot of that kind of stuff. Um, Theoretically, it's good. It might be harder to execute in real in reality um, than you think. But if you could get something going to where you got them going, I think that that you could definitely make money doing that. Um, but you'd have to market. So, I mean, the margins would definitely be tight. I know a guy who does this a little bit, but he has like his own dumpster company. And then if somebody calls and says like, Hey, I need this size of dumpster and he doesn't have it, then he can like rent out somebody else's dumpsters. Uh, but he gets a really good rate because they kind of like share dumpsters in a way. So I think that it's good if you could like strike a deal with a local dumpster company, it would be good uh, and not get eaten, not get dicked around. I think it could be good, but I think it could be difficult to pull off. But so those are some that I looked at. So I just, I like dog walking. I don't know. I just, that just appeals to me anyway. So those are the ones for today. If you guys have a business idea, 
um, either something that you came up with that's totally original or you're like, hey, man, I really like cars. Should I open like a car? Should I become a car dealer or should I like open a body shop? And you want to just like hear me kind of like give you the ins and outs, yeses and nos or riff on it a little bit. You know, feel free to send me a, a message on Facebook. Um, just look up Zach Herger. That's my name. Uh, or you can also uh, shoot me an email. Uh, it's my first initial Z and my last name, Hergert. So it's Z Hergert and then the number one at gmail.com. Um, and then you guys will send me those and I'll uh, talk about them uh, on the next ep. But hey, appreciate you guys stopping by and uh, look forward to talking to you soon.